Welcome to Parenting Well Podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Wendy Gossett. Wendy is a parenting and relationship coach based in Denver metro area. Her primary focus is temperament psychology, which is a technique that parents can use to understand their child, what they're doing, and why they are doing it. In the process, she helps parents to accept and pull the best out of their children. So thank you so much for being here today. I am so happy to be here. I'm excited to dive in. Um, So I have to start with this because I just watched your video that went viral, and I wondered if you could share a little bit about that. Well, it was kind of the worst day ever became the weirdest day ever because we were um, driving to my mom's house in Pueblo on I-25 and it was a blizzard. It was one of those days where you're asking yourself, should I be doing this? And as we came to no man's land where there are no exits anywhere, we became completely stalled and we were stuck for four and a half hours and I had two teenagers in the car who were actually looking forward to seeing their grandma and it was their day off and so they were thrilled that they weren't working or at school but then here they were spending their time in our car for four and a half hours with no food (laughs) no bathrooms so they were getting extremely cranky and I had some games in the car and I was trying to play games with them and my son was fuming and he could not get his brain off of why isn't anyone doing anything, you know, because he's this rule-following kid that's like somebody's not doing their job, and he just could not shake his bad mood. And so I was just scrolling through the radio, and all of a sudden I had this inspiration because I know that negative memories stick with us far longer than positive memories. And I thought if I could stick a positive memory to this negative memory, they're gonna remember this forever. And so all of a sudden I got this inspiration and I thought, how often do we get to get out on the interstate in a blizzard and dance? I said, I'm gonna get out of the car. And so the first song that came on the radio, it was on 80s Sirius XM radio, 80s or 90s, 90s, was everybody rock your body, the Backstreet Boys. And it was a perfect song to rock my body to with my mama dance moves, you know. (laughs) And I was trying to get other cars involved. I thought, you know, we could have a real la-la land thing here. Everybody's out dancing on the interstate. Well, that didn't happen. But my son was so embarrassed. And he just had his fingers in his ears. The music was too loud. He was seething. My daughter was filming, so she thought it was hilarious. And so this little video that we shared on Facebook was picked up by the Colorado Springs Gazette um, because this was close to Colorado Springs. And before I know it, the BBC has it that mom is horrifying her son and all these different (laughs) headlines. And and then I was hearing from Italy, like firefighters in an Italian firehouse were watching it saying I had sleigh dance moves. And I was reading all these comments and people are so different. I mean, the way everybody saw it was just the gamut of personalities. And it was kind of a case in point for what I do. 
just seeing everybody's different perspectives when they were viewing this video. Yeah. That is so awesome. How old was your son at the time? Oh, uh, this was very recent because okay. this was just featured in the best of 2019 on Fox News. So this happened last January and he was 17 or 16 at the time and my daughter's 15. Okay. So yeah. they're a year apart. So teenage angst coming out. Oh my best. gosh. Yeah. Like my mom is so embarrassing. That's so funny. I love it. So you said this is kind of part of what you do, and that's one of the things that made that really fun. So tell our audience what it means to be a parenting and relationship coach. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's not a, a title that you hear very often. And so it's just become my niche. I, I was um, a teacher. I have a master's degree in education, and so I was teaching children as well as adults. I was a corporate trainer for a while. And I just took my love of teaching and my love of temperament science that I used when I was working with corporate teams into my own relationship with my daughter. And so that's where it kind of blossomed into becoming a temperament coach because I realized that parenting, being a parenting coach is very powerful and a wonderful thing to be, but I was something different from that. I am someone who can uh, guide you and give you a roadmap into who your kids are, what their drives are, what you can expect from them and what you can't expect from them, what they're going to have to learn. And it's probably going to be very difficult and unnatural for them to learn it. And so incorporating that into parenting coaching has been just very powerful and, and something really unique and different that I haven't seen a lot of people doing, especially with uh, child temperament, because child temperament manifests itself differently than adult temperament. Mm, and we're going to get into that a little mm-hmm. bit, I hope. Yes. Um, you mentioned that it helped you with your relationship with your daughter. So what was it about your daughter that had this become something you were really interested in applying in that relationship? Well, my daughter was different from day one. And, you know, my son is older than her. And even though in the video it looks like he's the difficult child, he's actually the easy child. That's, it's easy for me to understand because he's a rule follower. My daughter, on the other hand, was just, we called her a quiet force. Her name is Jordan. And we like to say that, you know, she goes with the flow a lot of the time, like the Jordan River, but you don't want to cross the Jordan (laughs) because she was so strong-willed. And that's how she was as a child. She was this quiet force um, that you didn't want to cross. And I would try to relate to her like you would with my expectations for a mom-daughter relationship, you know, talking about our feelings and doing crafts together and baking cookies and going to the mall. And my daughter liked to run her rats through a boot camp gauntlet and (laughs) take the heads off of her dolls and write on them with Sharpie. (laughs) (laughs) And she didn't want to talk about her feelings at all. In fact, her feelings are very unimportant to her. She's all logic. And so I framed this as she's just this very nonchalant, apathetic kid who I don't really like. It's terrible to say, but we came to that point where I just didn't like her. And I realized... I have to reframe this or I'm going to ruin my relationship with her forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have to figure out how to reframe this because we're all born with strengths. And all I could see were her weaknesses. And so the work that I was doing with corporate teams and helping CEO of the company understand their employees and finding the strengths in their employees, I thought, why can't I do this with my own child? And that's where it came from. Kind of blossomed from there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> At the end of the day, a lot of this had to do with the fact that your temperament and her temperament were very different. Mm -hmm. So what is temperament? Yeah, so I think a lot of people are familiar with temperament because they take a test online, like are you a squiggle, are you a square, are you a triangle, are you a you know, bird, are you a dog, what, you know, all these different tests that you can take online, and they're fun. There's, you know, what Harry Potter character are you? What, you know, or what Barbie princess are you? Or, you know, Disney princess are you? So there are all these different tests out there, and there's validity to them, and that's why there are so many out there. And it, it goes all the way back to the Bible where it talks first about the four faces of God, the ox, the lion, the eagle, and the human. And then Plato, Aristotle, Hippocrates, all these philosophers, they agreed that they could see these four people patterns. And so the Myers-Briggs test comes from, and Myers-Briggs is where all these, you know, a lot of these come from, but there's DISC, there's Emergenetics, there's so many different um, tests, but what I do with my families and my parents is I work with Carl Jung's eight psychological functions, which came along in the 1920s. And when you take an assessment, it um, can give me an idea of where you're at in a big picture sense, but then I can hone it down to what is your number one psychological function because everybody's brain is divided into thinking, intuition, that's kind of more the front of your brain, and then feeling and sensing, which is kind of more the animal back part of your brain, but we have all four. And so Carl Jung's psychological functions are those four, but introverted or extroverted. So what your number one function is, is kind of 85 to 90% of what makes up your personality. And so taking one of those temperament assessments kind of gives you those four letters, which I like to equate to a car. So are you driving a sedan? If you're some kind of a J in the Myers-Briggs, you're driving a sedan. If you're some kind of a P in the Myers-Briggs, you're driving a convertible. So that tells you a little bit about how you live your life. You're either a sedan or a convertible. But then what really helps parents and what's really powerful and what I don't see happening a lot in the workplace, because I'm still working with corporate teams, and um, is understanding who the passengers are in your car. Who is your driver? Who is your co-pilot? Those are your front seat passengers and you're very good at using those. But then you have two back seat passengers who are underused. And that's where you can find balance in your personality. So you either have, you know, thinking, feeling, sensing, or intuition in the front seat, or they're in the back seat. And so knowing this about yourself, about your kids, can really, really help you understand the path you need to drive down and the path you can guide your kids down. 
And and it's funny because my daughter and I actually had our brains imaged. You know, there's so much neuroscience out there now. We did QEEG maps of our brain and mine lit up in the areas of feeling and communication. I hate to say it, but the animalistic parts of the brain, you know, I'm feeling, number one. And my daughter lit up in the logical parts of her brain. She's thinking, number one. And so our QEEG maps reflected what I do with families on paper when I map out the order of thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuition in their brain. So interesting. So when you were talking about being in the front seat or the back seat, and just to clarify, I think what you're saying is that if you don't understand what their temperament is, they, they go underutilized or misunderstood? Yes. So for example, my daughter and I are opposite. And it's funny because we're not completely opposite. We have the same four brain functions. There are eight. We have the same four. They're just in inverted order. And this is what happens with husbands and wives all the time. You will marry someone with the same brain functions, but they're opposite. So it's the whole Jerry Maguire, you complete me thing. So I drive with extroverted feeling. That is my number one. It, it can either be introverted feeling or extroverted feeling. I drive with extroverted feeling. I don't have introverted feeling as one of my functions. My daughter has extroverted feeling, but it is her most inferior baby function. So when I was expecting her to express her feelings, when I was expecting her to be demonstrative with her feelings, to show excitement, to say thank you at a young age, I was labeling her as apathetic and cold and, you know, uncaring and getting my feelings hurt. When this was an expectation I should have never had for her because all her feeling behaviors have to be taught. It's all learned behavior for her. And as a girl, it's so rare in our society and and kind of looked down upon to be a girl who's uncomfortable with feeling and having that be her most inferior function. So I flipped from having this animosity towards her to having sympathy and oh my goodness how hard that must be and I'm going to help you and you can help me be more balanced in my rational thinking and logical thinking because that was number one for her. Right. In the process of doing that you could also then coach her on how to interact with other people in the world. Absolutely and you know and it starts with parents knowing themselves because um, before you can start having your child be open to hear about their limitations, you need to be open and share what yours are. You know, so I would share with her, you know, my limitations are your strengths. And this is a two-way street. I'm going to learn so much from you. And I hope that you'll allow me to teach you. This is as they get older, of course, when they're little, you have to have really strict boundaries with your kids and discipline but it really does help you with your expectations to know you know what their bent is Um, and we you know we instinctively know that as parents but I say what you don't know you can't grow and so the sooner you know what your child's strengths are and what their limitations are the quicker they're going to grow and the less bumpy it's going to be and 
The kids that have an introverted function as their driver, they're really tricky because what you see is usually their secondary brain function because that's their extroverted function and they're not as comfortable using it. So with my daughter, that was the case with her. She would go out of the house and use her extroverted function, which was extroverted sensing. So she was funny and talkative, and then she'd come home and want to settle into her comfort driver function of introverted thinking. And I didn't know how to recognize those strengths because they were hidden in her brain. Some of those strengths are accuracy, being analytical. So I couldn't figure out why she would get so upset if I used the wrong word. Or when your child has an introverted brain function as number one, it's really important to know what it is so that you can identify those strengths at an early age with your child and start noticing those strengths and applauding them and building those strengths. Mm, that's great. Absolutely. That's wonderful. So in some ways we're already talking about this, this difference between nature versus nurture when it comes to temperament, how we have this way of being that we're born with and then as we get older we learn how to put ourselves in other environments and use other aspects of our temperament, but can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so nature versus nurture, you have to say that when a child is born, it's 100% nature <laughs> because they've had no nurture at that point. And so any parent that has twins, which I've worked with several, and I just wrote a book um, called Your Child's Inner Drive, Parenting by Personality from Toddlers to Teens, um, big long title, <laughs> but um, in this book, I have several stories about twins that I've had the pleasure of working with. And the parents will attest that these twins were completely opposite from birth, from day one. There was no nurture involved. And um, in one case, the twins even switched places in utero so one could come out first. And from that day on, that first twin was leading the marching band and the other one was following. And it was a whole temperament thing inbred by nature. As we become adults, nurture becomes more and more a part of who we are, our circumstances, our birth order, um, you know, just the path we go down in life. Um, you know, some of us have had trauma. Um, all these things are a part of nurture. And I'm sure you've heard of the Enneagram, which deals mostly with nurture versus nature because the Enneagram is how we have learned to defend ourselves in the world. And a lot of that is learned behaviors based on nurture and nature, um, how we've chose to defend. But I always love working with parents and kids because then you see their pure nature um, as their children. And so when parents take my inner drive assessment that I've developed specifically for child temperament, it's a much uh, more pure picture of that child's real nature than maybe as you know someone in college even. And so when I'm working with men especially, they are the number one culprit for mistesting themselves. Because in our society, they applaud men who are thicker skinned, thinkers, in other words, they're using the thinking part of their brain the most, it's in the front seat. Um, thinkers, they're extroverted, they're success driven, and 
they follow the rules and they can follow a plan. And that's what they're testing as, every single man. And so I'll usually have to ask them, so tell me about how you were in elementary school. Tell me how you were with your siblings. Because that's when that true self comes out. Because even when kids are fifth, sixth grade, junior high, they're starting to learn how to behave socially. And so if they took a temperament test or their, their teacher took it, they would test them as something totally different than what their parent knows they are at home with their siblings, what their true nature is, and that's where those brain functions come in. So when you do these tests with families, you have the parent assess where they think their child is? Yes, so the parent, and I suggest that both parents take the test together for one child so that you have both parents' perspectives mm -hmm. um, as they test that child. And I would say it's 75% accurate. And what that does is it narrows down my makeup car from 16 to maybe three cars that this child could be. And then I start whittling it down by going through the eight psychological functions. And just by hearing the behaviors of the child and the problems that the parents are having with these children, I'll know pretty quickly what brain function is driving that car. So interesting. And then from there, what do you tell the parents? How do you work with the parents? Yeah, so we, I do a whole brain map for the whole family. And so each family member's brain functions, four brain functions, driver, the drivers are all lined up, the co-pilots are all lined up, the teenager in the back seat, and the infant. And by the way, they're called teenager or 10-year-old and infant because that's when those functions start developing. Mm. So it's even like a forecast for a parent's future, what to, you know, if your kid's driving you crazy right now, when they're 10, you can start expecting to see this function show up, which is going to help balance out this child. These functions just develop over time. Um, so yeah, so I'll map out all these functions and then the parents will see the pattern. I just worked with a, a husband who was the only one in his family who had intuition as his number one function and it was introverted intuition, which no other family member had that function in their car. And he was wondering why he felt so alone in his own family. And so we were able to pinpoint that and talk about what that would look like in practical life, how he could use that to enhance his family and kind of be the visionary leader of his family and bring meaning to his family because he was in a family full of just extroverted sensors who just wanted to have action and, you know, sensory experiences and they weren't journeying inward and, you know, working on their inner person. Yeah. And so he saw that as this calling in his family um, and he could be more intentional. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear you talk about this, and I think about the interactions that I've had with my own children that I've witnessed other parents have with their children, that those interactions can be so much more positive if we know how to meet them where they are versus meeting them where we think they should be or how we are. Right, and I kind of look at it as you are their guide to build their strengths into the best possible. And the way my book is mapped out and also when I work with families I give them a roadmap, if you will, of each one of their child's brain functions. I map out the imbalances, which is what most parents see. Because when your child is young, they haven't developed the strengths yet. What you see are imbalances of the strengths. 
And so, for instance, manipulation is the imbalance of negotiation. So if you can teach your child that, oh my goodness, you have the gift of negotiation. Let's work on this. And it saves you a lot of time, mom and dad, because instead of you having to come up with the solution to every problem, you look at your child as this little master problem solver and you say, hey, okay, you wanna go to your friends? I said no, but I'm gonna change my mind and let's turn this into a negotiation. You come up with a solution that makes me halfway happy and you halfway happy and boom, my daughter has become the best little negotiator. <laughs> and so I don't have to That's think great. of solutions anymore. She comes up with them for me. And if I don't like it, I say, oh, that doesn't work for me. She comes up with another one. She's just, and rather than calling it manipulation, it's problem solving. It's yeah. negotiation. Turn it on its head. Interestingly, the example you just gave, what, what popped into my mind immediately is, what if that particular situation is one that you really have a hard line with as a parent, you have a boundary with? So you use the example of my daughter wanted to go to her friend's house, and I said no, but then we negotiated. What if you know that, that that's not a safe environment, there's going to be drugs or alcohol there? Um, how do you navigate that kind of negotiation in a, a situation like that? Yeah, so um, with younger kids, you know, I, I work with a lot of young children. Um, you can test their temperament as early as when infancy. I mean, you can already start to tell um, what temperament they are. But with younger children, we use red, yellow, green. Parents just need to let their kids know, this is green, this is green. Going out of the house with your parent comp, that's green. Um, you know, wearing whatever clothes you want, that's green. So much freedom. But then there are certain things that are red and they are non-negotiable. And then there are a lot of things that are yellow that are negotiable. So a lot of times as parents in the heat of the moment, we'll say no, just for convenience sake, and we don't really mean no. But then we feel like, okay, I'm the parent, so I have to stick with my guns and say no. So this even gives you an opportunity to say, okay, I said no. I said this was red, but let's make it yellow and let's open this up for negotiation. So in the scenario that you presented, if this child has already had so much green, so many choices, so much freedom in areas where a lot of parents say no, like loading the dishwasher. I mean, some parents, you know, flip out over that and then the child never wants to help again because they did it, but they didn't do it the parent's way. So if you're giving the child all this honor for who they are and you're honoring their strengths, when you do say no, they're going to honor you and they're gonna respect you. And so it's that, that setting boundaries where they need to be set, but they're few and farther between. And, and there are some temperaments that are actually born for freedom. It's the lion face of God. It's the lion in the Wizard of Oz. They are born for freedom. And then you have some kids who are born for boundaries. The Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, the ox type, they love checking things off the box and they love order. And so that child is fairly easy to parent. But you have that child who is driven for freedom and to find their own identity. It's so important to parent that child with a really long leash and a lot of freedom mm. and, you know, fewer boundaries. That makes a lot of sense that you, you don't want to push against what's natural for them. That's yeah. right. Very interesting. Yeah. 
wow, I wish I would have known this when I was raising my kids. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, you mentioned you can test this as early as infancy. So how do you do that? Well, to determine temperament, there are a lot of 50-50 coins. Um, You say you're either this or you're this. And a lot of times you're middle of the road, and those are usually the introverts. Because I say the introverts are a hybrid. We use the sedan or the convertible analogy before. Introverts are always hybrids. They're a little bit of both. Like you can be driving a convertible, but your driver has a map and they're on a highway. Mm. Or you could be driving a sedan and your driver is on a country road with no map. So they can look like a little bit of both. And that's why a lot of people discount some of these tests that they've taken because without those brain functions, you don't understand how it can be this dynamic of a little bit of both. Mm. So for instance, if you are, uh, my daughter's an ISTP, and P means she's driving a convertible. That's how she lives her life. She likes freedom. She's a lion. She wants the top down. She's a challenger. Um, But her driver is on a highway with a GPS, very logical, very orderly in her brain, even though her room looked like a tornado. And so she's a hybrid of both. And you have men who are a lion type driving a convertible, but their driver is feeling, introverted feeling, which is the most sensitive of all functions. So this man goes around knowing he's a lion, but knowing his driver is this sensitive kitty cat. And so his whole life, he squishes down that sensitivity and tries to be the lion in all situations and feels untrue to himself. And so these introverted functions can be very tricky to detect. But in children, it can be this 50-50 coin of are they a challenger or are they a cooperator? And all kids can be challenging, obviously. My cooperator's son would throw his food off his high chair to see what would happen. But, you know, I knew how to handle him. I understood him. He you know, he was upset or, you know, remorseful when he did something wrong. Whereas my daughter, I mean, she needed to be hit over the head with a two by four by life over and over and over before she got it. She was definitely a challenger and I didn't understand her. So you have that 50-50 coin. Are they a cooperator or are they a challenger? If they're a cooperator, they're either the Dorothy type in The Wizard of Oz or they're the Tin Man type from The Wizard of Oz. If they're a challenger, they're either the lion type or the scarecrow type. Then, if they're really prickly and not very snuggly and my way or the highway, most chances they're a thinker. So already you know you have this lion child who's a thinker, and that already gives you three of the letters if you're using Myers-Briggs, which then helps me to narrow it down to find out what the brain functions are. So thinker-feeler is a very um, obvious brain function to discover in children. You can tell right away if they're snuggly and sensitive or if they are determined and my way or the highway, thick skin, they're crying because they're angry versus they're crying because they're hurt. Um, So those are some keys for kind of determining temperament when your child's little. That's interesting. I'm thinking about um, a challenger that also likes to follow the rules, that likes to do things meticulously. I have seen so many patterns that right away I kind of know who we're talking about here um, because the ox type, that Dorothy type, is a rule follower, but one of the ox types leads with extroverted thinking. 
which is my way or the highway. I am a perfectionist. I have to do a hundred things in one day and I have to do them perfectly and get out of my way as I'm accomplishing all this. And they tend to follow the rules of society more readily than following your rules at home. <laughs> you know, they'll let down their hair at home, but at school they'll be a straight A student, mm -hmm. they'll be doing everything perfectly, but at home they're like, no, my way or the highway, I gotta get this done, I gotta check this off my list, and I kind of feel like that's who you're describing. Yeah. <laughs> But extroverted thinking is uh, very much follow me. I'm going to tell you where to toe the line, and this is how we need to do things. So It's cool because outside of the assessment that the parents do, parents can probably then just talk to you about their children, and you can listen to that and then make some guesses about how that might fit with their temperament. Oh, it's, it's actually more than guessing. It's yeah. actually pretty spot on. Like if you were to um, map that child's brain, you would see the thinking functions light up in their brain. But yes, that's kind of what it is, is that the assessment will get me in the ballpark and then speaking to the parents about that child's behavior and that child's behavior over time um, then helps us hone in on the brain function that they're using. <laughs> it's great to have these analogies to characters that people can recognize and put a personality to as well. Yeah, so I'll just go into that just a little bit more. I don't think we talked about the scarecrow and the, the tin man. The, the Dorothy type is about 46% of the world. So that's why a lot of classrooms are designed with rows, you know, and that's not anymore, but, you know, in the early days, rows and, you know, rules, and, you know, of course, we have to have rules in our society, but the Dorothy type is that rule follower needs structure. Um, what's most important to them is control and safety and security. Dorothy just wanted to go home where mm -hmm. everything was known and familiar, and, and she crossed over and ran away, but the minute she saw Aunt Anne was sick, she wanted to come home, you know, she was responsible. And then you have the lion who was all about, he wanted courage. And like I said, that lion is wired for courage. They need to win. They need to be impressive. And most of the time, the lion in the family is the family mess up. They're the family rebel. They're the one that's always in trouble. And then Dorothy, older sister, older brother is the perfect child. And so this lion child feels like, I have to differentiate. So not only are they a lion and they're already bred to win and be impressive, but now they're like, all right, if I can't be the impressive one by following the rules and getting good grades, then I'm going to be impressive by doing whatever else. So they're wired to be impressive. So for this child, it's so important that, let's say, that Dorothy parent who doesn't understand this kid's not following the rules, they've got to learn that child's strengths and what they are because this child needs to be impressive and they need to win and they need to be the king of the forest. Oh, and by the way, the lion is 40 like 35 to 40% of the world. And then you have the scarecrow, which is if you have one of them, you really need to call me because <laughs> they are only 8% of the society wow. and they're intuitive. So they see the world completely different from 86% of the world. Mm -hmm. And they are a challenger and they are all about their brain. The scarecrow was all about his brain. So they don't care as much about relationships as they do about theories, ideas, their ideas that often differ from the parents' ideas. And then you have the Tin Man, who is only 6% of society. They're a cooperator, and they're all about their heart. 
And so they're easy to parent, but they can be extremely sensitive, prone to depression. Um, you know, so it's also extremely important to understand how this child is wired because it would be very tempting for a Dorothy parent to say, just figure it out, just do this and this and you'll be fine. And not understanding just mm -hmm. how sensitive this child is and how wired for meaning they are, mm -hmm. deep, finding deep meaning rather than just being content with their nice possessions or their nice clothes or their nice room. They, they need deeper meaning. They need something that's intangible that a lot of times sensing parents, which are 86% of parents, don't understand. They don't understand why I've provided this and this and this for you. You have friends, you have A, B, and C. Why, why are you still point? unhappy? Mm -hmm. I'd love to keep talking about this because at Penn, we work with parents around a lot of different things like executive functioning, impulse control, ADHD, ADD, um, being sensitive. We're getting ready to have our stress and anxiety symposium, which you're a speaker at at the end of January. Yes. And we have a very ongoing um, conversation about the amount of stress our kids are under and the way in which anxiety shows up for them mm -hmm. and how do we provide an environment for them so that they can still be successful and not just in school, but at home. Oh, it completely correlates. So for the Dorothy type and the Tin Man type, they are plagued with anxiety and worry because they are so thoughtful and caring and relational and rule following and wanting to be in control, that that can also be their nemesis. Um, the lion type is um, afraid of control, but in the opposite sense, they don't want to be controlled. They don't want their possibilities limited. So they have ADHD and um, you know have a hard time making a decision, have a hard time focusing and, and finishing. And, and then you have the scarecrow type who's all about their brain thinking number one so then they sometimes struggle with um, you know borderline Asperger's borderline you know not understand not seeing what's actually going on in the world around them and picking up on emotional cues mm. one of the brain functions is introverted sensing it's a very common brain function because it's one of Dorothy's functions um, introverted sensing just by hearing the name you could sense you could see that that would go along with sensory processing because they're extremely sensitive in their five senses. So, you know, the, the feeling of clothes, the loud sounds, you know, misophonia, um, having the, you know, the not enjoying certain sounds um, is misophonia. Um, just the, the fear of throwing up, you know, that's one of the anxious, uh, really common anxieties for mm -hmm. kids. Those are all involving the five senses and introverted sensors, as well as extroverted sensors can have these sensory processing um, issues because they have sensing sensory in the front seat. Mm. And so, you know, figuring out where these other balancing brain functions are in their car can really help that child have ammunition to fight against that and to learn how to regulate it better. Introverted feeling, I'll just say, is very, very sensitive. Um, so if your child has introverted feeling, you might not know it because they're not sharing, but introverted feeling can be uh, a victim. The weakness or the imbalance of that is to feel like they're a victim. And because introverted feeling is very much about 
finding their identity and, and who they are, and it's very self-focused. So they can be harmonizing, but if something steps on one of their personal convictions, they can be extremely stubborn and dig their heels in the ground, and a parent won't know why because they won't be able to voice it or share it. They just know they have this deep conviction about it. And I just worked with parents that had a grown son who had been a perfect student his whole life. In his senior year, he just went off the rails and mm-hmm. like went on a vision quest to just go do huts. He went backpacking across huts and that's all he's doing and he's grown. And it's because his number one need was for identity. And his whole life, he was, because he's a feeler, he wanted to relate to his parents and be a good kid, but he needed to form his own identity. And he hadn't been doing it because he had two Dorothy parents. I know that sounds weird for the man to be Dorothy, but they were (laughs) the ox type, the rule followers. And he'd been towing the line with them for so long that he had not figured out who he was. And he had to go on this vision quest to find his identity. One of the things that's interesting to me about what you're sharing, and maybe it's because I'm relating it a little bit to the Mm Myers-Briggs, but I know like for myself, when I take the Myers-Briggs, I am very close to the center on many of them. Mm -hmm. So I fall on one side, but slightly on two or three out of the four. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like with this that probably that range is available for these different types as well, that you might be a very strong, strong sensor or someone who is a little bit sensitive. Well, what happens and what's so effective with these brain functions is just from you saying that and just from me knowing what you do, it's putting a type in my head because uh-huh. I've seen so many patterns that some of the patterns that do that that aren't extreme, that are very well balanced, fall into that human category because the tin man or human category are very good at being all things to all people. Mm -hmm. And also what happens if your secondary function or your co-pilot is an extroverted feeling function, that's a harmonizing, people-oriented, relational function. So even though it's your co-pilot, People see it and it's so relational that people think it's your number one. And so that's why a person that has introverted intuition as their driver and extroverted feeling as their co-pilot, they think they're an extrovert when really they're an introvert. But it's that co-pilot that they're evaluating. And so when you actually see these functions, it makes total sense that you could have this introverted intuition driving and this extroverted feeling co-piloting. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you know the players on your child's team, you know when to bench the, you know, number one player and when to play the, the lesser player. And it's just, it's more dynamic for you to work with your child to know the brain functions and, and the order that they prefer them. So tell us a little bit more about your book. Yeah, so I I mentioned a little bit about it, that it's mapped out for parents who are kind of saying, oh, this issue is driving me crazy with my child. Like, my child is just too cautious. He's afraid of everything. I, I can't get him to try anything. Well, you can look that up in my book. You can look up fearful or timid. And then you'll see the flip side of that is rule following or cautious or thoughtful. And so I've mapped it out to where you can look up that imbalance that you're seeing and be able to then reframe it and flip it and understand why this child is imbalanced in this way. It's actually a strength in disguise that's there for the making, for the creating. Mm -hmm. 
if you notice it. And then it has over 200 case studies in it of kids I've worked with that have these temperaments so that you can read through those stories and feel like, oh my goodness, this is not just my child, it's not just my parenting. (laughs) And you said it earlier that it just helps parents to relax and instead of going against the tide of their child's personality, they can now go with the flow of their temperament instead of trying to put that square peg in the round hole or change their child's behavior to be something that they approve of. Because a lot of times as parents, we grade ourselves based on our child's behavior when really that shouldn't be. That child should be allowed to be who they are regardless of if they look completely quirky when they're out in the world and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable to see them being that way. They are just going with the flow of who they are and some temperaments need to learn from the school of hard knocks. They learn much better from life than from a parent's lecture. Which can be painful for a parent. (laughs) It sure can. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's what my book does is the first part of the book is actually a way to test your children and yourself and everyone in your family for that matter. And then I even map out in the book how to do the the brain maps for your family. And then you can turn to the section on your child's temperament. There are even um, tips for teachers on how to um, handle those different types in the classroom. Very cool. And lots of of hands-on tips as well in each section. Easy to apply. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you said because it's not just parents who think that they're supposed to do things a certain way. It's society that thinks parents are supposed to do things a certain way. And when a child is struggling, misbehaves in school, gets into trouble, oftentimes the parent is the first person that we go to. So I I hear how you're talking about the temperaments and thinking that even if your child is struggling with something or does get into trouble, that you can look at their temperament and say... What might be driving this and what could we do that might help this child get back on the right track? We always talk to our kids about like the railroad tracks. When you're in the tracks, things are good. When you go off the tracks, we're going to get you back in the tracks somehow, you know? Right. Absolutely. And look to their strengths to find something else that they can feel good about. Yeah. And a perfect example is my daughter was hanging out with the drama crowd because girls are feelers and a lot, not all women are feelers, 75%. So most of the girls she was hanging out with were loving drama and girly stuff. And so my daughter was going down that path and as a number one thinker, she really wasn't the greatest actress in the world because she couldn't tap into those feelings. And so when high school came around, I said, Jordan, why don't you try engineering and physics? Because we knew she was this tactile, she's a sensor, that's her co-pilot, she's this tactile thinker. So I'm like, tactile thinking, perfect. And she is thriving now and she wants to get into engineering or physics, but she figured it out a lot sooner. She'd have been stumbling around in drama class for a lot longer had we not known her temperament and known where to put her. And it's also a self-esteem booster. You know, if that dad who's a you know, athletic thinker is trying to force his sensitive, feeling, cautious boy into sports his whole life, you know, is not willing to put him into music or put him into chess club or whatever, that child's self-esteem is going to pay the price. And so if you know, you can grow. So the sooner that you can put them where they belong, 
the more it's going to help them build their self-esteem and their self-worth. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to force a kid to be an athlete that doesn't want to do athletics, it's going to make them feel bad about themselves when they fail at it. Right. So I ask this question a lot to our presenters. What do you think kids need from adults in their lives? Like how do adults need to show up for them, for them to thrive and grow? I just read this and it was pretty profound. Most families have a good parent and a bad parent. <laughs> like a parent that gives conditional love and a parent that gives unconditional love. And I think kids need both to thrive. They need you to know their strengths and to applaud them and to cheerlead their strengths and to love them for who they are. But then they also need those boundaries. You know, it's just like Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer, you know, he'll tell you <laughs> that dogs are, they're, they're these little cave creatures and not comparing kids to dogs, but they need boundaries. Kids feel much more secure in a fenced play yard than they do with too many choices. And I think our society today is just giving too many choices too soon. And when you know your child's temperament, you, you know if your child needs stricter boundaries or looser boundaries, but they still need boundaries and they need um, just an even dose of unconditional love and conditional love, but unconditional love wins out in the end. Wow, that is a great, um, a great way to put that. Um, so for our audience, how would they best get a hold of you if they want to work with you? So I would love to um, point your listeners to my Child Inner Drive Assessment. It's on my website at wendygossett.com. So that's a great place to start to take an assessment for your child. But you get that assessment for free for both your kids and you get adult assessments if you work with me. I have an understanding session. It's a brain mapping session that I do with parents. It's a two hour session and they can find that on my website. It's called my standard package and you just find out all the temperaments in your family and all the brain maps. And then there's also my book, Your Child's Inner Drive. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Wendy Gossett. So those are just some, some ways that they can find me and look into what I do. Awesome, yes. And for a little bit of a laugh and a joyful feeling, they can find your viral video of you dancing down the highway in the snow. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, if you just Google Wendy Gossett, sadly, that's the first thing that comes up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing this. It's got my brain spinning, so I bet that it will have a lot of our listeners' brains spinning on who they are and who their kids are and how they can best interact with the people in their lives. Yes. So I appreciate it so much. Awesome. Thank you for having me. We want to thank Radio 1190 for letting us use their space. If you like what you heard today and want to become a sponsor or make a donation, you can find us at penbv.org. That's P-E-N-B-V dot org. We hope today's conversation has added to your parenting well. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, and you've been listening to Parenting Well Podcast. Until next time, happy parenting.